Think big. Think positive. Never show any sign of weakness. Always go for the throat. Buy low, sell high. Fear, that's the other guy's problem. Nothing you have ever experienced can prepare you for the unbridled carnage you're about to witness. Right. Super Bowl, the World Series, they don't know what pressure is. In this building, it's either kill or be killed. You make no friends in the pits and you take no prisoners. One minute, you're up half a million in soybeans, and the next, boom. Your kids don't go to college and they've repossessed your Bentley. Are you with me? Hello and welcome to Turner's Take Podcast. I'm your host, Craig Turner, author of Turner's Take Newsletter and a commodity broker here at StoneX. We specialize in grain and oil seeds, and uh, my group here also does a lot in the dairy markets and energy. Uh, if you have any questions for me, you may call at 312-706-7610 or email craig.turner at stonex.com. We work with hedgers and speculators, producers and consumers. Uh, we do a lot in futures and options, OTC and structured products. And for our clients that uh, that do use the markets for hedging, uh, we also offer consulting services. Uh, if you like the podcast, please go to iTunes. Give us a positive review. It's how a lot of people find us. And uh, if you want to check out the newsletter, you can go to turnerstake.com. And, uh, and yeah, and if you're a client, finally, if, you, if you're a client, you want to talk about any physicians, have on you should also have my cell phone which you can call or text me anytime so let's get into it here um we're gonna go macro markets first it's been a lot of talk you know it's the beginning of the year you see the analysts come out we're talking about what do we expect for 2023 economic growth um you know recession no recession oil demand food demand all these types of things right on the last podcast, we were talking about some layoffs that we were seeing. I want to say it was Salesforce we talked about and um, Amazon and Goldman Sachs. Well, just this morning, getting another announcement, Google to lay off 12,000 people. So, you know, this is a theme that's been going on here and, um, you know, within the corporate world. And, the, you know, 2023 looks like to be a slow growth year. Um and, you know, what kind of recession do we see? You know, are we already in one? Is it going to be kind of shallow? Um, it doesn't feel like it's going to be some huge crash. Because usually when you get a huge crash in the market, it happens from one of two things. You know, a huge crash is followed by a very big bull market, right? You know, you get, you go too high, too fast, and you come down like a, you know, and you see that a lot with individual commodities or individual stocks. But we haven't seen that with this market. It's not like you know, the dot-com bubble or, you know, something like that. Or you get a financial crisis. And when I say financial crisis, I mean something out of left field that no one accounted for, and then everyone's extremely exposed. The subprime is a good example of that. Um, a lot of people caught off guard, and their liquidity was an issue, and, you know, you had a huge crash. What this feels like is, you know, your regular recession. And I know that's it's been a while since we've had one because we kind of had the Great Recession uh, after subprime and didn't go into a depression. But, you know, we really haven't had kind of like, you know, the recessions of the 80s and 90s that lasted for like a year, 18 months. Um, you know, it feels like in a while. And, that, and that's what these numbers tend to look like. It's always a little bit different going forward. You know, nothing's exactly like it was 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Um, the world certainly has changed and the global economy is more interconnected. 
but you know it doesn't it doesn't feel like a crash it it feels like a slow growth kind of recessions uh, uh recessions of the eighties and nineties so we'll see we'll see if that's the the case but that's the way it's looking and if that's the case you know in those recessions, the Fed always cut interest rates. But in this recession, I don't think the Fed's going to be able to cut interest rates. Honestly, the latest reports or analysts think the Fed will raise rates probably two times over the next couple of months, so in the first quarter, and they'll do a quarter point each. And right now, I think we're at the 4.25 area to 4. You know, and I think eventually the Fed the Fed rate gets to like that, you know, that range of seven. I mean, four point seven five to you know five five percent. No more going past five percent. And I think, and I think, and then we stay there for the rest of the year. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. What the Fed has been talking about, and also looking back in prior periods of time in the United States where we've had you know serious inflation, which is the seventies. And the argument is going to be, even if you have economic difficulties, you can't, you know, if if you have inflation and you have, uh, you know, a poor economy, you can't just cut rates to try to stimulate the economy. The inflation section has to be the priority. And, you know, that was really the, the, the fault of the central bankers. Like if you can look back at the central bankers and say, hey, there's one thing we should have changed back in the 70s. It was not sticking tight to fighting inflation and 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 higher interest rates. Like you got to stamp that out first before you can worry about the economy. Otherwise, you get prolonged inflation, like we did in the 70s, right? And 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 that is, you know, central bank bankers. You are very much in the academic field. They're PhDs in um, in economics. Uh, it is this mix of government academia and and business world over there and they're all well aware of all the studies and the papers and the analysis of what happened in the 70s so i have a feeling that we're going to see it's we'll probably see two more quarters go up in the u.s fed if you know we have some kind of mild recession they're not going to do any stimulus the focus will continue to be on inflation and that's probably how 2023 goes. I think these big companies realize this now, and they're either trying to get ahead of it or they see something coming on, and they're doing these layoffs. And when you look at the market from that perspective, this all makes sense of what's going on. Um, and so what does that mean for demand and you know, on the commodity side? You know, you know, in food, in food demand and grain and oilseed demand, it tends to be constant. Um, you don't see huge swings in demand based on if it's a recession or not. You do with energy, though. And, you know, you, there is this, you know, with the slower economic growth, you do get weaker energy. China's opening up from COVID, and that'll probably actually counterbalance that. And also, then you combine that with, you know, the United States and Europe's energy policy. You know, that's not, you know it's so focused on green and renewables, which isn't a bad thing. But when you are only focused in green and renewables, there is the risk of not having enough energy supply. Um, you go, you know, while you're in that transition. 
So that so you're going to get this counterbalance. If we didn't have the green energy push now, and we didn't have China pushing and you know basically opening up from COVID, energy prices would probably be you know a lot lower. Um, but that's there's definitely a bull camp and a bear camp there. That'll slug it out um, on the energy side. So that is kind of you know you know the big picture here. I'm gonna just take a look at some other things. You know, China. Before we get into the grain markets here, I will just say that you know China is experiencing deflation, which is bad. I mean, you if you gotta choose one, that's. I know this sounds strange, but it really is easier to fight inflation than it is to fight deflation. Um, it can be kind of a death spiral if you don't get out of it. Um, Japan has had similar issues and has had problems with it ever since the 80s. Um, so, you know, the China, I'm not too sure China is going to do there. It's not like they have some kind of open book and you really know what's going on in that economy. Um, maybe coming out of COVID zero policy helps their deflation issue. You know, also, um, they've got population growth issues too, just like the United States. I mean, look at part of the inflation issues here is labor. And you just don't have the workers for whatever reason. You know, the part of it, I'm sure, is, you know, the baby boomers are getting older and they're coming out of the workforce. And we just don't have the population here, growth here over the past 20, 30, 40 years to help replace them. And that's part of it. You know, immigration, you know, is probably you know, is probably a little bit part of it, too. And then with China, you know, they have the same issues. They have the one child, one family policy for so long. That's catching up to them, and they're going to probably have some natural inflation on the labor side, too. So, And they could, honestly, if you take a look at the numbers, they're most likely going to get it worse because they are not open to any kind of immigration. They're going to try to somehow boost the population um, on their own, and uh, and that's going to be difficult. But, so I don't know. There's a lot of things going on here between uh, inflation – because of labor, and you know, which would be honestly, that's it's really more of a structural issue. Inflation because of you know easy money, which the Fed is trying to uh, is is trying to uh, battle here. And you know, we'll also have inflation, and there is some inflation that's transitory. All right, you know, some of the some of the things going on in the the grain the grain markets. You know, we just had shortages of of things for a while, and you know the. And and those will and those will ease over time. I mean, we have a. I mean, you'll hear me say this a lot. Commodities eventually revert back to the mean. It's not going to happen today, but over time it will. Um, and you know, and and that's kind of the backdrop. So we're going to switch on over here to the grain market and oilseed market specifically. But just to recap on the macro market, you know, interest rates is something that we got to keep an eye on. Um, and I think the Fed and the industry is setting up for. Probably two more quarter point increases to get us to this 4.75 to 5% range. You And then the Fed stays there for the rest of the year. They need to fight inflation. That's the number one thing. And then the rest of the business environment is going to have to adjust to that, which is why we're seeing these layoffs. And we'll probably have a mild recession. Um, energy prices will be going, you know, we'll have bullish and bearish factors. You know, there's obviously they're very sensitive to the recession, but, you know, they, but we're not exploring for, you know, fossil fuels anymore. You know, petroleum seems to be on the outs and you don't, you know, we're using 
food, you know, we're using oil seeds along with corn for energy production. Um, and there is some question on, you know, how much energy can be generated on the green side to make up for anything we're losing or not keeping pace with on the fossil fuel side. So that's going to be interesting. And then, uh, and then with food demand stays constant, most likely. But here's the thing with, with grain and oil seeds, and this is where we'll switch over, is, you know, I take a look at these balance sheets. And just keep in mind here, we're like at around a two-year bull market, you know, with some of these grain and oil seed markets. And that's usually, that, that's, you know, it, it's rare to get a bull market in grains and oil seeds lasting two years unless something very fundamental structurally is going on with that market case in point corn really had you know a you know renewable fuels and ethanol is a very big game changer for corn and you had a bull market that lasted for more than two years and i know weather kind of helped with that but that transition was, was longer than two years you can make a case maybe the same thing happens with soybean oil and which could also impact both canola and soybeans um because of the oil share and that may be happening but for the most part um you tend to the world tends to catch up with supply after about a two years so let's just take a look at you know, where we are going to start with corn corn on the balance sheets are the is the easiest to solve at the moment if you get 92 million acres in a trend line yield now i know there's weather issues in south america i know argentina is having a rough go of it Brazil is having a good production year. You can make the case that the losses in Argentina will be bigger than what Brazil can make up. I understand that argument. You know, if Argentina loses, let's say, five, you know, 10 million metric tons of production, right? Which is a substantial number for them. 10 million metric tons times 39. It's about 400 million bushels of corn. So, you know, keep this in mind too at 92 million acres in a trend line yield the united states produces five million more bushels you know and ending stocks is that the five million bushel ending stock year over year um just with the probably the acres everyone thinks people they're going to have and the yield now what's interesting with corn is you know, the exports are probably still too high um, the usda showed that in the january report if i take a look at the forecast through the uh, the 10-year outlook you know the baseline outlook that the usda puts out um you know they have they most likely have corn exports too high in their forecasts and i don't look at like year eight from now i do look at next year and the year after um you know the 2023 crop these 2023 into 24 and then let's call that the these 24 crop that stretches into 25. we definitely take a look at those estimates um just to get an idea on it and the usda is likely too high especially if South America has the production capability they have. And by the way, Brazil doesn't even need to reduce rainforest to increase farmland by 5%. Um, you know, they were talking about it this week and they said, listen, there's a lot of underused, uh, unproductive, uh, or really unused land for cattle down there, pasture that could easily be converted into row crops. And it's something that they'll probably, that could be a trend down there. So I don't. I think acres are not going to be an issue. They'll still expand, even if it's not going into the rainforest down there. Things are likely to get better than worse uh, in the Black Sea, and we've seen that. Um, 
And I think, and, that, and that's most likely going to be a trend too. So when you take a look at the U.S. ending stocks for corn, you know, next year if we get a 92 million acres and a 181 and a half yield, and it looks like the weather's getting better in Argentina, and we may have hit a low point in the estimates for South America. Wouldn't be surprised if we start inching back up now as these rains come in. And it does look now. La Nina ended later than a lot of the weather forecasters were saying, but La Nina doesn't last forever and it's been prolonged already. So if it does, a lot of people are thinking it was going to end somewhere between December and January. Could be February, March, but as that's happening, it's weakening and rains get better down there. Might not be all the way back to normal, but could be just enough. So I'm going to say the crop probably improves plus a lot of the farmers knowing that La Nina was going to eventually change, you know, they did the smart thing. They decided to plant more, less in the early crop and really maximize that second crop planting, which will get better rains and better conditions. So, you know, even if Argentina is down 5% in production or something like that, and maybe we're 5 to 10% and Brazil can be 5% over, you know, there's enough grain out there. Um, where I don't think a ton of export come back to the United States at the moment. And that leaves the U.S. basically coming into a year where soil moisture really improved over, due to the storms and the snow, or is going to improve because of the snow and the storms you know, through much of the Midwest. Um, you know, California got a lot of rain. I know my neck of the woods in Illinois got a lot of rain and moisture too. There's a lot of places that got well needed, you know, well needed rain. And as we transfer, uh, we basically come out of La Nina and get into a more neutral weather pattern and maybe even a little bit of a weak El Nino, which could happen. It's not out of the cards. That's going to be good for crop development. We have the potential in the United States this year to have trend line yields are better for the first time, I think, in a while. Um, so, and if that's the case, I mean, if, I mean, if we end up having two bushels, over trend, which is only, you know, that's like a 1% outperform over trend. Um, let's just say one, which I think puts us at 183.5. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, you know, all of a sudden we're talking about a 2 billion carryout. So, you know, I can make an argument where everything goes great and we're at a 2 billion carryout for corn. Um, you know, if South America just continues to take slower and slower and we're like at a 179, you know, we're right where we started, like at a 1.2 or a 1.3, um, which are, which is interesting because you can get very little changes in acres this year and very little changes in yield. And I can go to the balance sheet and I can come up with a number, which is pretty tight from now. We're under 10% stock to usage, which, you know, is my magic line here, you know, for if prices should be elevated. And then it's just about how much, depending on how tight we need to get and how much we have to demand ration. Versus, you know, abundance and, you know, then, you know, corn is more of a more of a historical low when we have abundant stocks, which, by the way, I'm not exactly sure what that price is anymore. I don't think it's 325. I'll tell you that much. But is it four? Is it 425? You know, two billion stock? I, I don't know. I mean, we're just going to have to see here. I have a feeling I have a feeling it's going to be in the low fours eventually. Um, just the way. Because, you know, inflation, the type of, a lot of the inflation that we're seeing, you know, once it's out, you can't get it back in the bag, right? Um, some of it will, some of it is transitory, but man, some of it is structural.
So we'll see. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is the risk of the downside. I don't think I'm saying, oh, 425 this year. But two years from now, you get two good crops in a year. Can you go back to four bucks? I think it's possible. Um, so I think I'm more concerned about five dollars, uh, you know, for new crop, and you know, you know, considering we're at six now, I'm more concerned about five, maybe low fives, mid fives for new crop for old crop, right? You know, when we, if we have a big crop this year, maybe even lower. So. We'll see. Uh, when I'm talking to clients on the, you know, on the buy side, you know, my advice to them is like, you know, you only got to stay current, you know, with your with your coverage. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of end users, whether you be on the feed side, you know, you know, food and beverage, um, anything to do with energy, you know, where you're buying corn, uh, you know, the advice has been you just need to stay current for a while uh, within the, this quarter and next quarter. And, you know, if you're really concerned about, you know, a summer drought, you know, we can buy some $7 calls and the volatility, volatility in corn has, you know, is, is lessened. So you can do that. And again, I'm talking about the buy side here and you can kind of just wait for, you know, just keep it current and don't get crazy with buying out in the future uh, because prices will eventually come down here, um, you know, which is, you know, and so when you talk to the farmer, it's kind of like, we got to hurry up and make old crop sales, Right. Get that out of there because odds are, again, eventually we we will come down. Um, and you got to start pricing, I think, 2023, if you haven't already. I know a lot of you have. I'd even be open to taking a look in 2024, but definitely 2023. Um, and I like for the farmer, I like forward sales. I like using the futures and options market. If you have an OTC account with us, you know, there's some very interesting accumulators we could use. Um, some are better than others. I'm happy to walk you through that. Uh, and I think that is, you know, that's good. You know, when I use an OTC product um, with our corporate clients on the buy side, we're actually looking at it for like the now, like we're using the OTC products to, you know, buy, to buy corn and wheat and soybeans in these next couple of quarters. Cause you know, that's probably something they want to secure just in case of a, a big price going higher. So the same view on the market, but this is what's going on on both sides. And it's because just like how we talked about, you know, the macro markets in the first half of this, you know, you know, the first half of this, uh, this podcast, like the writing's kind of on the wall, like the business community, see what's going on with the fed and what's going to probably happen this year. They got to get ahead of things. They're doing layoffs. And they're probably cutting costs. If you're in the grain and oil seed business, if you're a farmer, you really got to be getting rid of some of this high priced grain and making you know adjustments to kind of get a little bit more sold for next year. And then on the buy side, they're kind of buying month to month, quarter to quarter, um, and holding off. You know, it's it's just it's just the way it is right now. I don't see that changing unless you get some kind of one-off event. So if I'm a farmer, you know, you got to set a floor. I really like those made short dated puts um, in new crop, just in case we really have a crash here. Um, and I think that's the way the, the farmer kind of protects themselves. And we'll see where we are by the end of April. Uh, for soybeans, you know, one major concern I have with, there's a couple of things going on with the soybean and canola market, which is called oil seeds. Um, one, what's going to happen with renewable biodiesel? You, you conflicting signals, you know, with the, uh, 
you know, with the latest mandates, it was viewed as bearish. But if you take a look at U.S. energy policy, you kind of got to be bullish on renewable. You know, when I say I mean policy overall, meaning like specifically in the biofuel space, you can look at that mandates and just in that silo, you could say that's a bearish number. But when you take a look at the U.S. and Europe energy policy overall, like it's it you know there's almost a bullish feel to it because energy prices are going to be rising and even if the mandates weren't all in favor of biodiesel or even ethanol um there's still going to be demand for it because of rising energy prices for whenever the the economy starts get going again so I'm, you, you get conflicting issues there plus the industry is building so many crush plants you, you know, just like with the ethanol industry those need to get fed and it's going to be we're going to have demand for them then I take a look at the European Union and you look at the rapeseed market over there and they've taken a beating and they have not held up as well as palm and uh, canola and and soybeans, um, especially in the new crop side. It's interesting, too, because rapeseed and canola isn't a huge difference between them. But uh, it seems like the canola has held up a little bit better. What's you know, and the thing is with, with rapeseed, you're hearing in Europe, you know, Germany rethinking their, you know, their biodiesel. Um, and I get it for Europe. They have a much bigger issue on the energy side than they do, than let's say the United States and Canada does. So maybe that's a little bit more of a one-off market. And what happens on the energy side in Europe because of what's going on with Ukraine and Russia is more of a one-off and unique situation to them. But, you know, the there is... There is this now dislocation of what's going on in the European rapeseed market versus what's going on in the Canadian canola market and the United States soybean oil market. So that needs to be to be watched. Overall, though, if Brazil has the crop they're talking about, they will eat into U.S. exports for soybeans. And soybeans, we could have a bigger build in ending stocks in soybeans from the exports we lose to Brazil than to maybe adding on an acre or getting another, you know, or getting better than trend line yields, right? Because if you get another acre, you know, one more acre in soybeans is 50 million bushels. Um, one more yield, one more bushel in yield is going to be worth about eight, you know, 90 million, 90 million bushels. So that's a bigger deal, you know, the, the increases in yield for sure. Um, but if Brazil has the crop they're talking about, U.S. stocks could go from, you know, 200 million to 400 million just because just the sheer amount of soybeans, Brazil, they're going to have 20 million metric tons more soybeans year over year um, than last year. That's so 20 million. And that's like 700 million bushels more. I mean, there are stories like they don't, Brazil's not going to know what to do with all the grain they have because they don't have storage the crop could be so big which means they just flood the flood the market so i mean that's i mean last year they had lower production you know it's that 700 million bushels is misleading right because they did have a drought right and they're makeup but you know they're also going to now go over the averages you know coming back so it's uh, and regardless that's going to impact the the export market so still concerned about soybeans and canola I can see soybeans at 12 bucks at harvest. I can see canola 
700 or lower. Um, 100 tons divided by 44. You know, 1590 a bushel. Um, you know, if we get down into on the, the tons for canola, I think if we get down to 660, we're at about $15 a bushel. That's Canadian. Yeah. So, you know, these are these are concerns. You know, that would be kind of like sub 12 on soybeans, you know, trading in the 11s. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a possibility You know, if all these things go. So, if, you know, and uh, and that's something we got to be aware of. On the wheat market, we deserve to be high for a while, but as soon as new crop comes in in, in July, that's a lot. Eighty percent of the world's exportable wheat in the global market is produced with the northern hemisphere, you know, between the winter wheat and the spring wheat harvest. So, you know, starting in May, not really June, you get the winter wheat coming in from the United States and in parts of Europe. You know, by July, harvest is wrapping up. For the most part, you get into August, you start seeing the spring wheat hit the market, and that's usually all done by September. And there you go. You got four months of winter wheat and spring wheat, you know, all over the northern hemisphere hitting the hitting the export market. And, you know, it's we may be relative, you know, we're we're not gonna be as tight as we were. Um the Black Sea has opened up. India's gonna have probably India's gonna have a pretty big crop here, and they're gonna start. You know, the northern hemisphere, the closer you are to the equator, you know, the sooner you harvest. India is going to probably start harvesting uh, some wheat here pretty soon. They'll be the most likely the first the first out of the gates, and it's going to be a pretty big crop. So we'll see how that even that just starts affecting the the export market. So something to keep in mind there. Um, I think that over time, we're just going to leak lower, really not favoring the bears or the bulls here. I'm just calling it like I see it on the balance sheets and the odds. So if um if I'm on the producer side, I'm looking at short dated options on corn. I'm looking at buying puts and selling call spreads uh to help hedge after you've done any kind of forward sales when you do something on the board. I really like new crop accumulators for anyone who's uh, ECP uh, qualified. On the soybeans, the options are expensive, and we've already come down a lot, okay? I wouldn't mind taking a look at NOV 23, NOV 24, bear spread it, and look at it as a hedge. Now, at what level and to what you're going to you know, hedge it with, you know, for like a specific recommendation, that's something that we'd probably have to talk about on the phone and you know, give me a call, and we'll, and we'll figure it out. But I would look for something in that range, and it's really because the spreads haven't come in as much, but the futures prices have gone down. Um, and I almost think the, the bear spreads a little bit of a better value here, especially if that South American crop comes in the way it is and uh, we get like 88, 89 million acres of soybeans. I think that's going to make sense. Um, and on the wheat side, wheat stuff, you know, we've already come down a lot. If we, if we rally up to eight bucks in Chicago and let's say nine in Kansas City and we get to that 940, 960 range in spring wheat, it's hard to see it break through there. Um, odds are we keep on leaking lower. And, you know, on the on the wheat market, eventually, you know, if I take a look, at, take a hard look at the wheat market, we're going to expand stocks the fastest, probably in the Chicago wheat. That's the looks like the weakest of the bunch. Then hard red winter wheat, given that the weather patterns change and the moisture level changes in in the in the in the West, um, Western 
Corn Belt. And what remains, what looks to be remains to be tight for another year or tighter than the rest is spring wheat. So for the, the farmers in Canada, in, in Western Canada, um, and for the farmers in the United States and the Northern Plains, you know, spring wheat looks like to be a crop that's going to hold its value. Now, it may be dragged down by the others, but it, you know, on a spread, from a spread perspective, probably going to hold its value better um, than some of the other markets. So, you know, I'm not as concerned. Let's say I'm not as concerned about spring wheat as I am canola. Uh, yeah, in that respect, just terms of like marketing and, and trading. So that's where we are on the buy. And then I'll just wrap it up on the buy side. You know, for all those markets, um, it's kind of sound like a broken record, but we're going to keep current in the, you know, for the next couple of quarters on coverage. And you can kind of uh, let things go and come to you, you know, when it comes to new crop and those kind of clients that have, you know, you're setting budgets and you got to meet a budget and um, you're worried about, you know, high prices. You know, you can go out into the market and buy buy calls in July. Um that are maybe you know that are going to be underneath your budget price that you need to that you need to make with your CFO, and it's going to cost you probably two percent of your overall commodity buy for the year to fit into your corporate budget. So that's something you can always do too. That is both sides of the market. That is what we're we're seeing right now. If you have any questions, please give me a call 312-706-7610. Um, oh. I kind of we had an OTC webinar earlier this week. If you got to see it, great. If not, just contact me. Um, I'm waiting for compliance to release it so we can make that recording available. Uh, you can email me too, Craig.turner at stonex.com. Trying to get more active on Twitter. We'll see how that goes. We'll do another podcast next week. Hope everyone has a great weekend and I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. This material is conveyed as a solicitation for entering into a derivatives transaction. This material has been prepared by a Daniels Trading Broker who provides research market commentary and trade recommendations as part of his or her solicitation for accounts and solicitation for trades. Daniels Trading, its principals, brokers, and employees may trade in derivatives for their own accounts or for the accounts of others. Due to various factors such as risk tolerance, margin requirements, trading objectives, short-term versus long-term strategies, technical versus fundamental market analysis, and other factors, such trading may result in the initiation or liquidation of positions that are different from or contrary to the opinions and recommendations contained therein. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future performance. The risk of loss in trading futures contracts or commodity options can be substantial, and therefore, investors should understand the risks involved in taking leveraged positions and must assume responsibility for the risks associated with such investments and for their results. You should carefully consider whether such trading is suitable for you in light of your circumstances and financial resources. You should read the risk disclosure accessed at www www.danielstrading.com. Daniel's Trading is not affiliated with, nor does it endorse any trading system, newsletter, or similar service. Daniel's Trading does not guarantee or verify any performance claims made by such systems or services.